Well, how are you guys doing? You guys good? All right. You guys, who's excited to go home? Oh, come on. That was, you're excited to leave the mountain and go back to school and responsibilities and chores and your younger brother? Hey guys, I, um, I, I have loved, loved this weekend with you. This has been an incredible weekend, um, and I promised that I would shout out. Where's Dolphin Boy? Where you at? I got to hear it. Hey, can we give it up for Dolphin Boy? There we go. I also, I also heard that there's, a, there's Monkey Boy. Where's Monkey Boy at? Where you at? Yeah. Oh, there we go. I'm loving it. All right, let's give a round of applause. There we go. And I want to um, hear all of your guys' names. I can't give everybody a shout out. So on the count of three, can you guys all just yell at me what your name is? All right, three, two, one. I heard Agnes. Agnes? I'm going to call you guys Agnes. What up, Agnes? How you guys doing? You guys good? Okay, who won Broom Ball last night? The, the pink, the pink unicorns, yes, the pink unicorns, and the ladies, where are you guys at? Uh, Calvary? Yeah, oh, you guys are killing it. How much would you sell me your t-shirt for? One million dollars. Two more, two billion dollars. All right, all right, how much, how much would you, hey, bring it back, bring it back, how much would you guys sell me your PS5 for? Your Xbox. I don't know. What would you sell me? Okay, fine. How much would you pay for that hideous new Tesla truck? How much would you guys pay for that? Zero dollars. I would still, I would still, I would still pay five bucks for that thing. What about a Snickers bar? How much would you pay for a Snickers bar? Okay. How much, how much is Steph Curry worth? You guys like Steph Curry? Okay. You guys not Warriors fans? <clears throat> here's, what I'm, <clears throat> here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm doing. I'm talking about worth. How much is that t-shirt worth? How much is the Tesla worth? How much is your PS5 worth? How much is Steph Curry worth? How much are you worth? How much are you worth, right? Because we define worth based off of how much we would pay for something, right? How much does something cost? That's how much you would define worth. A Snickers is worth a dollar. That's how much it's worth. Steph Curry is worth 60 million. That's how much he's worth. How much are you worth? And last night we talked about the very fact that an infinite God came in Jesus and he said, you are worth the cost of an infinite God. He said, you're so worthy, you cost the blood of Jesus. That's how much he would pay for you. And so the question that we have to wrestle with is why then would we allow our value? Why would we allow our worth? Why would we allow our meaning and our purpose to be determined by the boy who texts us back or not? Why would we let our life and our joy and our ups and our downs and our happiness be determined on if someone laughed at our jokes or not? 
See, yesterday we talked about how worthy we are. And yesterday, most of you guys in the room took a stand because you said, I realize how worthy I am. You realize that there's an infinite, mighty, awesome, powerful, holy, good, loving God, that he's the only one that can satisfy the eternity-sized void inside of your heart. And you took a stand because you said, I now know how valuable I am, I know how loved I am, and I love Jesus. You know how worthy you are. Now the reality is, is if you know how worthy you are and you're not going to let your worth, your value, your happiness, your joy be determined by that person texting you back or how much money you have or you don't have, you live differently. You love differently. So today, we have to now ask the question, if you guys stood up and you said, I want that, I want Jesus, I know that I know how worthy I am, we have to ask the question, now what? Now what? How do we actually live and how do we love differently because of Jesus? How many of you guys like reading books in here? Okay. A couple of you. I saw a couple of you reading books. <clears throat> I used to hate reading books. Like I was like, just give me the ones with pictures. I just want to watch movies instead of books. I used to not like doing it at all. But then occasionally you actually meet someone and you might be in here. The people who open up to the back of the book and read like the last couple pages before they even read the book. Is there any of you guys in here who does that? Ah, you guys, you know who does that? Boring people, boring people, right? No fun in your life. You just kill the entire book. You, you kill your entire time. We, we actually, even though we do that, most of you, hey, bring it back, bring it back. Most of you actually hate spoilers, right? You are probably like my wife. Uh, we love watching movies. And sometimes I watch a movie that she has not watched yet. And when it gets suspenseful, my wife like hates the suspense. And so she's like, what happens? Tell me what happens. I'm like, I'm going to tell you watch the movie. And she's like, just, uh, does it at least end well? Like she just needs to know at least is happy at the very ending. How many of you guys saw Encanto? 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 Get a little spicy with it. Encanto, it's an older one. It's an older one. But here's why, here's why I'm bringing up Encanto. Um, I watched it. Uh, I watched it in theaters, and then my wife went, and she went in theaters, and then we kind of had something happen, so she had to leave the movie early, and so she, she never finished the movie, and so she's like driving with me, and she's just freaking out. She's like, did they lose their magic? Like, what happens? Wait, why was their magic fading? And then I saw the vision of her, like, hugging her sister. Did they, did they make up? Is everything okay? Tell me. And just tell me. I need to know how it ends. I need to know. And here's the thing. I said, I'm not going to tell you. You got to watch it. You got you to gotta hold. I don't condone that kind of behavior, spoiling a movie. But it is an interesting thought. How would you read a book differently? How would you watch a movie differently if you actually knew how it ended? You probably wouldn't have the same kind of anxiety and suspense when all of a sudden something's going sideways in the movie because you're like, well, I already know how it ends. You probably wouldn't freak out when the main character kind of goes off the path because you know that they come right back onto the path, right? How would you do that differently? But then my question for you is how would you actually live life differently if you knew how the story of your life ended? How would you live your everyday moments, your ordinary moments, when you're at school, when you're in your sports teams, when you're at home? How would you live your moments? How would you pursue life differently if you knew how it ended? See, if we knew how incredibly powerful and loving and control God actually is, I think we would live differently. And so I'm going to read Revelation 21. This is what it says. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, 
Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away. This is beautiful. God is going to wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain no more. The former things, the broken things, the sinful things, the vapor things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne, that is God, he is saying, behold, I am making all things new. God is making everything new. Romans 8.28 says God works all things, everything. He works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. All things together for good. Now here's what he's not saying. He's not saying all things are good. Let's just be honest. Evil is evil. You call a poop a poop. It's poop, you know. It smells bad. Let's just be honest with what it is. But God is working all of those things, even the bad things, and he is really good at turning it into something good. Like I said yesterday, God took the most heinous, the most tragic thing we could have ever done in human history, which was killing God. He took that moment and made it our greatest victory with Jesus on the cross. This is what God is doing. We know how the story ends. We know where everything is headed. God is making all things new and he's moving everything towards that end and so if you knew who God was and if you knew that God was moving history towards the day with no more pain and no more brokenness and no more sin and no more striving after the wind no more thorny bushes for you to run through no more metal wires across the road to knock you off your bike how would that change the way that you live right now how would that change the way that you view other people right now when you go down the mountain, how is that going to shape and change how you live? 1 John 4, 19 says, we love because God first loved us. We love only because God first loved us. God's love, his forgiveness changes us. And so now we can love other people with that very same love. When we know how much we're worth, and you don't need the text message from that boy, and you don't need the affirmations from that girl, and you don't need all of the straight A's to tell you you're valuable, we all of a sudden live differently. We not only know our worth, but we also know the worth of other people. Um, none of you guys drive yet, right? None of you steal cars and go driving. Um, I, when I'm driving, there's like this a really annoying thing that happens sometimes when you are stopped at a stoplight. And you can't go because you're abiding by the law. And as soon as that light turns green, the person behind you honks. And you're like, are you kidding me? It just turned green. So, I mean, this is, uh, this is in my worst moments. I just look back and stare at him. I'm like, I'm not even going now. You honked at me. You wanted me to go. Now I'm just going to look at you. And I, and I was like, this is on you. This is your fault. And then they honk again, and I'm like, okay, but I got to go somewhere, so I'm going to start driving forward. And, and, and I hate when people are impatient with me. Like, why are you so impatient? Like, it just turned green. I get so frustrated. I'm like, why don't you have grace on me? Until I pull up to a stop sign, and an old lady needs to cross the road. And I got somewhere to be, and this grandma is walking really slow. And I'm just sitting there, and I'm like, go faster, grandma! Pick up your walker and go. I got places to be. 
And I can get so mad at other people honking at me when the light barely turns green, but when there's an old woman about to be advanced in years and spend time with Jesus because she's going to pass away, I am frustrated. Those are my worst moments. See, the reality is, is that actually when we realize how loved we are, when we realize how forgiven we are, we realize how worthy we are, we can then grow in becoming people who love others the exact same way. It changes the way that we live. It shapes the patience that we have for other people, even your really annoying little brother. It shapes the way, it changes the way that we view our time on earth. It changes the way we view our purpose and our meaning for these very few short years that we have on earth. It changes the way that we walk. We walk in peace. Even when situations around you are not going well, when things are in chaos, you can still have peace. You don't need to freak out. Why? Because we know how the story ends. We know that even though right now is chaotic, we know that there is a day that all things will be brought into new creation. Nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. I don't need to freak out. We're secure. You can actually have joy in your life. Even when there are sad things going on and broken things, and you can cry and you can weep as you should when there's brokenness, but you can still have a deep undercurrent of joy because you know that one day, an awesome and powerful and loving God is taking away all pain. You can have contentment. Even when someone else has all of the cool stuff, even when someone else has more riz than you and they get that girl. You can have contentment even when you don't have that relationship or you didn't win the championship because you know the meaning of life isn't vapor. You can have contentment. Guys, what I am telling you right now is the greatest news ever. When we fear God, we know that God loves us. We trust God. When we are secure in Jesus, we are free. We live life better. We live life to the full. Life is more fun because we don't need to depend on other people to give us our happiness. We live in it. Because God has already proven it. And so we turn one last time to the book of Ecclesiastes. So have your Bibles, get throw them, er, throw them up. All right, flip on over to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. The very end of Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And when you get there, you know, shaka and shoo. Shaka and shoo. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Go to verse 11, so big number 12, little number 11. All right, and when you are there, this is what it says. The, word, the words of the wise are like goads, like cool word. And like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings they are given by one shepherd. And you're like, what the heck is a goad? I'm going to name my, my second child Goad. So, yeah, I got Cal, I got Goad. You guys like Goad? Goad is a Goad. You're like, what the heck is a Goad? Here's what a Goad is. A Goad is like a pointy staff that a shepherd would use to direct their sheep or their donkey or their cattle so that when they're trying to put, like they're poking their sheep or their donkey or their cattle to go a certain direction, that when that donkey kicks to try to kick you away, it can't get you. You got the goad as the extension. I love watching people get hurt. Anybody else just love it? It's your favorite thing. I'm not talking about big hurt. I'm talking about little hurt, right? I don't want to see people with big hurt. 
But I follow this Instagram account, and it is called Kids Getting Hurt. It's great. It's awesome. They always have a disclaimer. They say, by the way, the kid is still alive, but sometimes you wonder. Inevitably, there's a video. There's a video in the Instagram account always where there's a kid who goes up to a goat, and he tries petting the goat at a petting zoo, and the goat just turns and thwomp, and just thwomps the kid, and they go flying, and you're like, this is the best content on the internet. I love it. You know, that kid should have had a goad. If that kid had a goad, it wouldn't have gotten thwomped. And so this is what Solomon is saying right here. Solomon is saying wisdom. Wisdom, which he's going to tell us what real wisdom is in a second, but wisdom under the sun, right? Working for your meaning and your purpose based off of the today. The wrong kind of wisdom is like trying to steer a donkey without a goad. You're going to get kicked. You're getting too close. You're trying to push life the way you want it to go, but it is going to thwomp you. But when we have a goad, when we have real wisdom, again, which he's going to explain to us in one second, we walk in a way that even though the world is going to try to kick you, it cannot knock you off your horse. Even though it's going to try to kick you, it cannot reach you. And so he gives us, he's moving us towards the answer. Verse 12, he says, my son, Beware of anything beyond these, of making many books there is no end, and much study is weariness of the flesh. This is what he's saying. He's saying, here it is. You don't have to keep reading other things. You don't need to go to, to reading all of these other books to try to find meaning. You don't need to go to those parties to find meaning. You don't have to look anywhere else to find meaning. After all of these chapters, 12 chapters, he's saying this is meaning. This is what the purpose of life is. And he's saying it's all found right here in the Bible. This book that's sitting in your lap, this is where meaning is found. In a day where we are all trying to find meaning and truth under the sun, my truth is your truth and your truth and whatever, but he says no, truth is truth. Meaning is found in scripture. And the whole weekend we've been talking out of the Bible. Why? For a very good reason, because these are the words of God. These are the words that God has given us to teach us, to instruct us, to show us what life is about, to show you what meaning and purpose is, to show us who God is, ultimately revealed in Jesus. This book has the words of life. We need to read it. We need to talk about it. We need to memorize it. We need to live it. And if we don't do that, if we don't open this thing up and talk about it with our friends and talk about it with our pastors and read it and pray through it, if we don't have it directing us, we will forget and we will go right back to the relentless rut of repetition and chasing after the vapor and we will be exhausted and searching and dead in our sins. But if we are reading the Bible, we can walk that path. We can walk in life. Show me anybody that you know who has a vibrant life with Jesus, anybody who's filled with the love and the joy and the peace and the patience and the contentment of Jesus, those people who know their purpose and meaning, and you know who I'm talking about, and I'll show you that they have a vibrant life with God and they read scripture. And this is what he's saying. You don't have to look anywhere else. You can go to scripture and you can see that God is giving us meaning and purpose. He's talking to us. And so after 12 chapters, we finally get where Solomon is trying to get us to. And he says, this is wisdom. Verse 13. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. 
God, what is your will for my life? What do you want me to do? What do you want my life to look like, right? These are the questions that we ask. And for 12 chapters, Solomon says, meaningless, 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 meaningless. And we're just like, all right, Solomon, tell us where meaning is then. Don't just tell us where it's not. Tell us where it is. And he says it right here. Meaning is found in fearing God and obeying his command. You guys remember the first message? What was uh, the thing that I talked about that's like the best way to understand the fear of God? The ocean, right? The best way that I think I can describe, I don't know if it's the best way, but it helps me. I hope that it's helped you. The best way that we can maybe think of describing the fear of God is the ocean because it's vast. It's mysterious. It's extremely powerful. It's awesome. And it's this healthy fear of the ocean that actually draws us to it. We pursue it. We pay ridiculous amounts of money to go see it and live by it. We stare at it. We want to be in it. We want to play and have fun and enjoy it. And the fear of God is to know and to remember who he is. God is not small. The ocean is not small. He's not a pond. He's the ocean. The ocean's not small. God is not small. He's not like a little genie that you can just put in your pocket that you pull out and say, okay, I'm going to tell you what I want to do right now. Can you do it for me? That's not who God is. He's not small. He's not weak. He's not irrelevant. He is not distant. He is holy. Holy means he is other. God is, we are like God, but God is more unlike us than he is like us because he is that other. He is huge. He is powerful. He is just. And he creates everything just by a word. He knows everything about you. He is more than you could ever think or imagine. And he is good. And he's loving. And he invites you and me into a relationship with him. So when we stand recognizing who God is, he's big, he's in control, and he's the one who tells us how life works. And we stand near to him because he's good. Now we understand what it's like to fear God, and we understand what meaning is. We understand what contentment is. We understand what life is. So instead of doing what Solomon did, which is put all of his weight on the, of his life onto these weak and flimsy branches, the weak branch of popularity, or the weak branch of money, or the weak branch of relationships, that branch will always break, and it will always fail, and you will always fall hard. But this is what it means to fear God, is to have faith in him. And here's what faith is. Faith is standing on the branch of God, the only sturdy branch. It's putting all of the weight of our lives on that branch and not the other branches. And here's the thing that I also want to say about faith real quick, because you could be like, okay, I could put all my weight on God, but the thing is I'm a little scared. I still kind of have some questions. I still kind of have some doubts. You know what faith, faith is? You can actually still have questions. You can actually still be a little bit nervous. Faith is tested by if you put your weight on the branch or not. You could have weak and wobbling knees. You could be shaking in your boots. But if you put your weight of your life on the branch of God, you have faith in that branch. Can I tell you what? We had enough faith to put our life on the branch of popularity, and it crumbled. We had enough faith to put our life on the branch of money, and it crumbled. 
But when we, even with weak and wobbly knees, put our life, our weight on the branch of God, he will not crumble. And so he says, meaning is in fearing God and keeping his commands. So when we know that God has a plan, when we know that God is powerful and he's massive, he's intelligent, he's greater than you could ever think or imagine, and then we realize eternity is set in our hearts and that life under the sun is not all that there is, all of a sudden everything that you do, everything that you do is filled with meaning. Everything you do is all of a sudden saturated with purpose. Everything you do matters because you don't just die and that's the end of the story, but we answer to God. And so we have a good God who's worthy of our lives. We have a good God who's worthy of our worship. We have a good God who's worthy of our friendships and who's worthy of our thoughts and who's worthy of our pleasures and who's worthy of our fun. And he's saying, have all of those things, but do them with me. And in fact, when we have God, all of those things are significantly better. Your friendships, better. The fun that you get to have, better, because it's not destroying your life. The joy that you get to have, better, because it's deeply rooted. You know, if you don't realize that we have eternity ahead of us, when we don't fear God, is boredom. Because everything you do, for what? Why? If eternity is not our end, if God is not good, if he's not powerful, if we don't fear him, why does it matter? Because all the money you accumulate, it's gone. All of the friends that you amass, they'll leave you. All of the things that you try to build up in your life, you know what you get? A rock with your name on it that someone mows over. That's what Solomon says. Unless. Unless we fear God and we obey his commands, everything we do is filled with meaning if we believe that we have God. Meaningless and depression that Solomon was talking about is not ours. Guys, I'm telling you the opposite. Life is so much more full, so much more adventurous, and so much more alive when we fear God and we obey him. It doesn't mean life is easy. Don't hear me and be like, I'm going to go down the mountain and all of a sudden things are going to be easy and great. No. You know the problems that you left down the mountain? You're going to go back down the mountain and they're probably still there. You're going to go down and you still have to do homework. You're going to go home and you still kind of have to do some chores. Unless you want to be grounded and then that kind of stinks too. But here's what I'm saying. Is that the difficulties in life, the, the things that life throws at you, the wires across the road, they don't have to take you out anymore. Because we know God. We know meaning. Eternity is set in our hearts. And so now when the difficult things happen, they don't have to spin us because my meaning isn't found there. When that person rejects me, I don't need to feel totally undone because my meaning wasn't found in their affirmation. Do you hear what I'm saying? Life is more alive. Last year, I was, uh, I was supposed to go on a trip of a lifetime. My, my like, top trip that I ever wanted to take, I was going to go to London with my pastor. And we were going to go, we were, we were going to go, um, we were going to go to a conference. I was going to go to Oxford. I was going to meet one of like my, my mentor heroes that I've never met, but I've always read his books. We were going to eat good food. We were going to travel. I've been waiting for this trip for seven years. I have been like talking about this trip, wanting to go on this trip. I finally convinced my pastor. I was like, hey, let's go on this trip. He's like, all right, let's do it. 
And so we, we're going to go on this trip. My wife drives my pastor and I to the airport. We pull up to the airport. We're walking to the gate. And my pastor and I turn toward each other. We knock each other. We say, we're doing this. We're like, we're doing this. So we're so excited. The boys are going to go to London. We are pumped. And we go, to the, we go to the place to check out our bags and to get our tickets. And so I hand the guy my passport. He swipes my passport. And he swipes my passport again. And then he looks at my passport. And then he just says, you're not going on this trip, bud. I was like, what? He's like, yeah, your passport expired three months ago. Can I say that was the greatest disappointment of my entire life? I got back in the car with my wife. My pastor still went on the trip. So fun. I told him to go. He's like, maybe I shouldn't go. I was like, dude, this is the trip of a lifetime. I didn't showed him that I was crying. And so I got, I got back in the car with my wife, and I was like, I lost it. Like, are you kidding me? And I was so mad at myself. How could I be so dumb? I mean, I've been waiting for this trip for seven years, and I didn't plan. I didn't think about it. I didn't even get my passport figured out. And that's kind of what we do with life. Psalm 90 verse 12 says, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Number our days. He, mean, he means count your days. Realize that your days are short. Even though Solomon was saying eternity is where we're headed, the days on this spinning rock called earth is short. And so Solomon is saying where it's short, number your days. Make sure you're prepared. Live life because you know eternity is your home. And right now, all of a sudden, all your days are filled with meaning. And so what does it mean to number our days? What does it mean to live life when we know eternity is coming, but our days here are short? It means live every moment, every moment, with God's guidance and direction. Follow God. Love God. Love others like God. And make sure your passport isn't expired. Meaning, make sure you're always ready. Make sure you're always ready for that trip. Right? You want to share about Jesus to other people because Jesus sets us free. Jesus is the meaning of life. We're watching people run around on the rat race of life just trying to find meaning and purpose. They're grasping after vapor. And you're like, I know who has meaning in life. So we got to tell people about Jesus. We have to spend time with Jesus. Through the Bible and through prayer, we spend time with Jesus. It's how we prepare our hearts. We surround ourselves with people who also love Jesus. With friends that are in this room who are going to grow us and sharpen us and make us more like Jesus. And we remind ourselves every day. Remind yourself every day that meaning is not found in the vapor of life under the sun. Remind yourself of the person who gives you meaning, Jesus. So I want to finish with this one last Bible verse. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. This last Bible verse is in Revelation 2, and it says, Whoever has ears, let them hear. How many of you guys have ears in here? Cool. Listen up. He said so. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, it's you and me, I will give some of the hidden Manna, I will give them bread that does not fail. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. And I know this is a weird and abstract verse, and you're like, what's up with the white stone? I prefer a green stone, Jesus. What's up with the white stone? And here's what he's saying. 
Back in ancient Israel, when you were in a court of law, what they would do after the entire trial is they would either give you a black stone, meaning you were guilty, or they would give you a white stone that meant that you were innocent, you were set free, you were pardoned. So you are not sentenced to doom, but you are set free to live purposefully. And at the end of our lives, at the end of your life, at the end of my life, when our short time here on earth is done and we stand before God, there is this secret that God and I have, God and you are going to have, right? Kind of like an inside joke, an inside moment that you only have with like your best friends. And it's this, this rock, this white stone that declares you innocent. And it's got a name on it that only he knows and only you know. It's this inside thing. And on this white stone, it declares your identity. It says, this is who you are. This is who you are for, forever. No one can take it away. And this name isn't what you may think. This name that's on the white stone isn't you're a good kid. This name that's on the white stone isn't you're a bad kid. Or you were the class clown. Or you were best looking. Or, or you were ugly. Or you were worthless. Or you're just an athlete. No, no, no. Those are names that other people might call you. Those are names that are written in the clouds that are going to evaporate and disappear. But God gives you an identity. He gives you an identity and meaning and purpose in life where it's not vapor, it's not mist, it's on a stone. It's not going to disappear or evaporate. It is solid. It is sure. It is unshaking. And it is an eternal name and an identity that can never be taken. This is what God is saying. Every day, if you want to live life with eternity in your heart, remind yourself that your meaning, your purpose, your life, your joy, your love, Everything about you is not caught up in the vapor and the mist and those other identities. You know where your meaning and your purpose is? It's etched in stone, and God has it secured for you. No one and nothing can take that away. And so if we want to number our days, if we want to live life of joy and peace and contentment and meaning, we fear God and we obey him. We live life with that meaning in front of us at all times. When you go home, don't let anybody else try to tell you who you are. You know who you are. You know what Jesus has done. You know what he's called you to. To live and to love like him. Would you guys all stand up with me? I'm going to pray one last time, and then we're going to go into another song of worship. And I just want to say I love you guys. I'm so grateful for you. This was an awesome weekend. I hope that you guys have been transformed by Jesus and by friendships and by milkshakes. And I know that you guys are going to crush it. I know that God has good plans for you. Like I said yesterday, if it's not good yet, God's not done yet, okay? So, Lord, I just pray for every student in this room right now. God, I pray that you would bless them. Bless their minds, bless their bodies, God. Bless their hearts with this deep awareness of your love. Lord, captivate them. Lord, I pray that you remain big to them. God, I pray that they fear you as we fear the ocean, as this holy, awesome, beautiful, incredible, mysterious thing that we're drawn to. God, I pray that we are drawn to you that we respect you, that we honor you, that we worship you, so much so that that changes everything. Lord, I pray that there's purpose in every moment and everything that these students do. When they go home, God, I pray that they live differently. 
I pray that they would hear comments from their friends that they're saying, what's different about you? You're not freaking out like you used to. What's different about you? You're not trying to get that people to like you the way that you used to. What's different about you? You're not acting a fool just because you want people to like you. What's different about you? God, and I pray that you give them the boldness. I pray you give them the courage and the confidence to stand up tall and say, I know who I am. I know who Jesus is, let me tell you. So Lord, fill these students with your Holy Spirit and boldness and strength and courage. I pray in Jesus' name and everybody says, amen. amen. Let's worship.